If you got your Bible, I'm going to go to 1 John chapter 4, and then I'm going to go to Matthew's gospel, the 22nd chapter, and read a few verses there. And uh, I'm on this mission this morning. I've been given an assignment over the last couple of weeks to declare war on shame. I have been told by the Lord that shame is what is restricting people from receiving all that he has for them, and that the culture in which we live in is a shaming culture. And we shame people trying to get them to do what we think they ought to do, trying to get them to be what we think they ought to be. And so anybody that isn't like us, we begin to shame them into obedience uh, or into compliance, if you will, into whatever it is that uh, we may be trying to get them to take place in. And we all are victims of it, right? Uh, we, we all uh, get to thinking about what other people think about us and maybe we're not pretty enough, skinny enough, tall enough, uh, rich enough. Maybe we're just, you know, we just can't quite measure up. Shame will always make you feel small. Shame will always make you have these emotions of feeling flawed, not good enough. Uh, listen, none of us are exempt from shame. We all battle with it. And it is the most powerful force that opposes a believer from receiving the fullness that God has from them. And much to my chagrin, uh, my peers use it. Uh, I just have to tell you, religion for the last four or five hundred years has used shame to try to manage the behaviors of people. And I began to realize a long time ago, my job was not to manage your behavior. Uh, my job was to introduce you to Christ and not to try to manage your behaviors. I, I have enough trouble of my own. Um, but uh, religion uses shame exponentially to get people to do whatever they think they need to do in order to be the kind of people that they think they need to be. And it is a powerful force that is used uh, and and. You, you never, ever experience the supernatural of God in a culture of shame. Never. In a culture of shame, you never feel you're worthy. There's never this, I mean, don't you remember the prodigal son went back and said, I'm not worthy to be your son. Remember that? Luke 15, the prodigal went back and said, I'm not worthy to be your son. Let's make a deal. I'll be your servant. Even the son that recognized it was time to go back still lived in the shame of his behavior. And there's a lot of people that come back to God, but they carry this shame with them. And that shame continues to hinder the powerful force of God that will take them into the fullness that God has. And, and so, quite frankly, uh, there has to be a voice that comes up out of the church and starts declaring war on shame within the church because the church itself exists in many ways of shaming people and that 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 shame keeps us from feeling lovable keeps us from feeling worthy it, it uh, and see shame needs secrecy shame needs gossip shame needs to deal in the shadows of lives shame uh, has to deal in the silent judgment. It has to have those things. And, and shame is different from guilt. Guilt's a good thing. Guilt is the recognition is I did something stupid, right? 
Anybody ever felt guilty? I did that and that was stupid, right? Shame comes along and says, uh, not only did I do something bad, but I am bad. See, I, I, I do bad things, but I'm not bad, right? But shame makes it be that personal and I live within that and I, I'm just not worthy to be your son. And uh, we have to recognize that we are ensnared by the words of our mouth. Ensnared. We're trapped by our words. That our words, according to uh, Isaiah, uh, you, you can be set free. You, he, he, he gives you good things for your mouth so that your youth can be renewed like the eagles. So you can miss the snare of the fowler by using good words. Or you can use shameful words and keep yourself trapped. Or you can keep other people around you trapped. In order to break the trap of shame off of people's lives, we have to be willing to change the words we use. And we have to be willing to understand that in the expressing of our opinions, we are either freeing or ensnaring people in their shame. And we, we have to take that responsibility as the body of Christ or we will continue to create this atmosphere where people come to Christ, but they still feel unworthy. And uh, we have to break that, right? I, I want people to come to Christ, but I don't want them to come to Christ and have this false humility and then live in this shame and never quite feel like they could win, right? That's, that, that'll make you check out. So 1 John chapter 4, I'm going to read about three verses here, and then I'm going to go all around it. 1 John 4, verse 7, beloved, say beloved. I love John. John's the one that named himself the one Jesus loved. If you go over and read the gospel of John, John is writing about himself, and he goes, and the disciple that Jesus loved. I think it was a slam against the other 10. You know, I don't know about you other 10, but the one that Jesus loved. But what I love about John, who's named himself, is that he turns around and says, beloved. See, once you know you're loved, you don't have a hard time looking at other people and say, hello, beloved. And so the one whom Jesus loved turns around and says, beloved. Look at your neighbor and say, beloved. I don't know if you're a believer, but I want you to know this morning you're beloved. There's probably some of you sitting out there that are still living in doubt, but I want you to know whether you doubt it or not, you're loved by God. Whether you know it or not, believe it or not, I want you to know if you've just stumbled in here and you're still hungover, you're beloved. I just want you to know if you slept with the wrong person last night, you're still loved. I just want you to know if you're wired wrong, you're still loved. I just want you to know if you're of the wrong race, sex, creed, or color, you're still loved by God because God made every human being to be loved. And it's not depending upon what you do or don't do, but it's depending on who he is. So let me announce to everybody in here, God loves you. And it's everlasting. It's everlasting. You'll never be more loved than you are right now. You can live perfectly from this moment on. You won't be more loved than you are right now. Because God loves us when we were still sinners. We were trash. I'm telling you, God knows how to take trash and turn it into something they sell on Pinterest for thousands of dollars. Have you ever seen that stuff? The guy goes out to his trash can, picks up this crap out of the trash can, makes it, and then he sells it to you for $19.95. I mean, it's an amazing thing. And then I go look in the mirror. 
And God knows how to take the sow's ear and make me. He knows how to take red dirt and make me. Beloved, look at your other neighbor and say, you are loved by God. Mm, mm. That ought to be enough just to go, thank you, Jesus. I came to know that this morning. I needed to be reassured that God loves me everlasting. Amen. Oh. Beloved, let us love one another. Why do I hinder and hang on that word beloved? Because if you don't know you're loved, you're never going to love anybody else. See, unless you know you are loved, you cannot love. And the way that you love others depends on how you think you've been loved. So if you think you've been loved based on your performance, you'll only love other people based on their performance. But if you know you've been loved without performance, then you can love other people whether they perform or whether they don't perform. Beloved, let us love one another. Can I tell you something? Love will change the world. Can I tell you, you vote any way you want to vote, silly. You'll never change the world. Because I'm telling you, you vote somebody in there, they'll get suckered into that sewer. Sit there and let that soak a minute. You will never change the world by voting. You will never change the world by passing a law. Because what the law was powerless, he did by sending his own son. Your law, you'll never impose on other people what you think is right. The only thing that can change the world is love. Love. Never mind, I gotta get move on. <laughs> Say love. Listen, if love is the only thing that can change the world, maybe we ought to stop sharing our opinions about all the other stuff and just try to become the kind of lovers that God has loved us to be. I think I'll just try to be a better lover than I've ever been in my life. Oh well. The only message I've had for over 40 years is God loves you. God loves you. Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He doesn't say it, but if you don't love, you don't. Never mind. He who does not love does not know God for God is love. Say with me. He is. It doesn't come. It doesn't go. It doesn't. It, 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 he just is. God is. He, it's like if you said God is peanut butter, but God is in this, the love of God was manifested toward us that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent us his son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Then Matthew 22, verse 36. Teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Say all. What does all mean to you? I think in the Greek, the Hebrew, the Aramaic, and French, and Swahili, it means all. Say all. In other words, you can't, let, you can't have a divided heart. You can't love God with, well, and save some. And all your heart. The prayer I pray in the morning. Do you love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, thy soul, and mind, thy strength? Yes, I do. I love the Lord. All. Say all. Say wholeheartedly this morning. I love the Lord my God and my neighbor. And my neighbor. Say, and. All the law. These are the greatest of all the laws. In other words, you don't have to worry about the other laws if you just surrender to this. In other words, forget about all the rest of it if you just understand what it means to walk in love. I have people all the time tell me I don't see any love. Oh, yes, you do. I, I, listen, I used to watch Pete walk Margaret in here and sit her down every Sunday morning, and there was love. I watched it. I, I, I watch my daughters and my, uh, my, my son-in-laws hold their babies. There's love. 
<laughs> I watch teenagers goo-goo eye at one another. That might be love. I don't know. <laughs> love. Love is all around us. We just have to stop and look and see and allow it to speak to us in the midst of what's going on. Contrary to what the enlightened movement told us, contrary to what the positive mental attitude that's crept into the church tells us, your thinking doesn't control you. Does not. Be you renewed by the transforming of your mind. Yeah, but guess where that begins? In your heart. As a man thinks in his heart. Jesus didn't come give you a new brain. He came to give you a new heart. A new heart. What is the heart? More than that thing that was boom, 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 boom. What you desire. See, your heart is that soul inside of you. What do you want is the question he asked his disciples. He didn't ask them, what do you think? Can I tell you, he, ain't, he didn't care what you think. He's already told you, your thoughts don't measure up. You're never going to think the thoughts of God. No, no, not unless he gives them to you. You're not going to arrive at them. Listen to me. You become what you love. You become what you desire. You are led by your desires. You were wired to have desires. That'll preach. You were wired with desire. You, 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 you were created to long for something. And whatever you long for this morning, that's what you will become. Whatever you love, that's what you'll follow. Because your thinking will follow your desire. You change your desire, your brain will change. He changes your brain. No, he changes your heart and your brain follows. All you got to do is change what people love. There's too much positive mental attitude in the church today that just keeps thinking about thinking. Listen, your thinking will follow what you love. I fell in love with that girl. She's what I think about. She's what I long for. I wake up dreaming of her. I go to bed dreaming of her. When I have scary thoughts, I slide closer to her. Hmm. I, 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 listen, I, I'm not challenged with other women because I long for her. I long for her. I want to be with her. And I think about her. Whatever you desire, whatever you love, that's what you will become. And until you understand that God loves you, you won't understand how to long for Him. You need to understand God is love. He's not the big brain sitting up in the cloud. He's not some mind floating around. God is love. He has more desire from you, for you than you can even imagine. He longs for you. If he tells you to love him with your whole heart, it's because he has loved you with his whole heart. He never wakes and never slumbers without you on his mind because his heart is after you. Whatsoever you love, that's what will define who you are. That's what will define what you seek after. It will define everything. Listen to me. I want to love with all of my heart. I want to learn to desire Him and desire the things that He has. I want, beloved, let us love one another. 63 years old, can I tell you, I want to learn to love Him more than I've ever loved Him. I want to long for Him. I, I, want, I want Him to fill every thought, every void, every measure that I might love as He loves. 
that I would recognize as the beloved that we are standing in front of the one who refused to retaliate when he was being murdered. How do you love like that? How do you love and experience and know that? 1980. I'd walked the aisles of a Nazarene church a number of times in the 70s. And I had repented as a 10, 12, 11-year-old boy. And I believe God met me at that altar. And I, I didn't want to go to hell. I was afraid of God. That was the gospel that I was taught. And, and, and God honored that. I know he did. But in 1980, a young man by the name of Peter Balaban moved to the little town I lived in at the time. And, and he would come over and watch football with me. And, and he sat in my house. And he looked at me one afternoon. And he said, Quentin, are, are, are you a Christian? And I remember Annie was probably in the kitchen. We were kids. And I, listen, I was raised in the church. I knew. But I saw a lot of things. I said, yeah, 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 I am. He goes, well, then why do you do that? Why do you say that? What, what's, what's up with that? And I remember Kent going, oh, don't tie. I've been around holy rollers all of my life. I was raised in a holiness movement. My grandmothers never wore pants. They wore dresses down to here. My grandmother, Jessie, never cut her hair. Once she was saved, she wrapped it around up like this because it was a sin to paint the barn. So there was no such thing as makeup. They were holy people. Holy people. We didn't go roller skating because they played music and you went in a circle. It's too much like dancing. Holy. I said, oh, man. He goes, no, 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 just a minute. He goes, you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? I said, yes. He said, you believe he died on a cross for you? Yes. You believe he rose? Yes. You believe he's coming? Yes. He said, do you know he loves you? Honest to God, I did not. I did not. Not in the way he was asking. Did you know that God loves you without condition, without warrant, without reservation? And has loved you before you were ever born. And will love you when you no longer exist in the flesh. Did you know he loves you just because you're here? Not because you do or you don't. You will or you won't. I did not know that. It changed my life. It altered everything in my psychic I'm telling you, I got off of that little chair on North Main Street. I was a different man. God loved me. Not because I had... Listen, I, I still had these issues. <laughs> Probably still got some of them, to be honest with you. Uh, but, but I knew from that moment on that the only message of my life was God loves you in spite of your specific denominational interpretation in spite of whatever picture of whether it was method you, you do understand that denominations have screwed this up and then politics have nailed the lid on it because today people cannot think about God without telling you first they're Methodist and second that they're Republican no you're not you're a believer you're not a Methodist, and you're not a Roman Catholic, and you're not a crat. You're, 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 you're a human being made in the image and likeness of God. And I discovered that day in 1980 that I was loved just because I was alive. 
Because he wanted to. Whether I ever wanted to return it or not. Look at your neighbor and say, you're loved. Like it or not. And it changed everything about me. Annie thought I'd lost my mind. I can remember saying, hey, I've got to go to school. I've got to go be a Lutheran pastor. <laughs> She'd look at me. I didn't know how to spell Lutheran. I didn't know who Martin Luther was. Who's Martin Luther? I mean, I can tell you about the Pentecostal experience in Topeka. Martin, who's Martin? Well, he's a guy who lived back in the 15th. You mean people have been Christians that long? <laughs> I didn't know. I'm going to go be Lutheran. I, they, he put me in the basement of Christ Lutheran Church in Eureka, Kansas with a bunch of ninth graders and handed me a Lutheran catechism. Taught me the Ten Commandments. Taught, taught, taught me the Lord's Prayer. He, he taught me the Apostles' Creed. Took me to the front of the church and was going to baptize me. And I invited my holiness grandparents. My holiness grandparents were praying in tongues that I'd go back to the bar and leave this Catholic light church. <laughs> what I begin to realize is people are prejudiced against pure love. When you see pure love, you rip the rug out from under the prejudices and the preferences that have delivered the gospel to you. And the denominational prejudice or preference that can't swallow it expressed in a different way will call it evil. And so for me to be sprinkled and not dunked is evil. The Pope must be the Antichrist and Martin Luther must be his assistant. <laughs> but I was loved. I was so loved that I didn't care. I was so free that the next several years, four or five years, all I could do was, was Bruce, I'd go, listen, I got spirit-filled in the bottom of WSU because a Catholic priest took me to a meeting. And in the basement of Wichita State University with a Catholic priest, I spoke in tongues. My grandparents were at least relieved slightly <laughs> that I could pray in tongues now. And now that I could pray in tongues, they could overlook the false baptism that I experienced. <laughs> Until I told them that it was Father O'Connor that had taken me to be baptized in the Spirit. I've stood in that parking lot as young people would look at me and say, Bishop, which one's right? Because the Baptist church over here says this. And the Methodist church over here says that. And the Catholic church over there says this. And when my parents got divorced, they told us that they were both going to hell. And when my granddad died of AIDS, so we're just going to check out. We're just not going to go to church. <laughs> and all I could do is stand there and go, can I tell you something? He loves you. 
He loves you, and all those other things are wrong. They're just wrong. They are tools that men use to shame other people into believing what they think they know and they do not know. And listen, I've grown old enough now to where if you disagree with me, I love you. I used to be afraid if you disagreed with me, how that would reflect on me. Now, I almost consider it a badge. (laughs) We have to recover the reality that we are loved simply and solely because the God of love says he loves us. And that he came in the form of a man named Jesus, born in Bethlehem, raised in Galilee and crucified in Jerusalem so that we could see that we are his choice. Not just me because I get all of my belief system right, but us, the human race. He chose us. For God so loved the world, us. And he showed us this love. And John sat at that cross and watched God forgive the world. And he said, I'm loved. See, if you ever see the pure love of God give his life for you, you would name yourself beloved. So with certain women of shameless backgrounds and one 14-year-old boy at the cross, he got it. I'm loved. And that man then writes to those of us who now read his letters and he says, You're loved. I'll never see Jesus in the flesh, but I've seen Pete Balaban. I've seen Jesse Simmons. I've seen Brother Jerry. I've seen Wayne Basada. I've seen Dale. I've seen Brother Crane. You see, the only Jesus that the world is going to see is the one we show them. For we have known and believed the love of Jesus Christ. A lot of people are trying to believe the love without ever having known the love. I've known that love through the people who have come into my life as friends and mentors. I'm beloved because of Annie. I'm beloved because of grandchildren who think I'm God. See, if you are ever loved purely and authentically by another human being, it will give you hope that that love is not human, but divine. What will change the world is love. And I'm here to be a voice and a forerunner in the 21st century. You have to recover the purity of the gospel that God so loved the world and it has nothing to do with the laws that you pass or you don't pass. Galatians 5 says, For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, righteousness, kindness. Against such there is no law. You'll never pass a law that'll stop. Love never fails. If we would begin to love like Jesus loved, all your sociological problems would melt away. 
To have faith in anything other than the love of God is to miss the mark. That's called sin. I am in love with the one that loves me irrevocably (laughs) without from 1980 to this day right here. One thing I know, I'm loved. And the times I have struggled with it is when the culture around me tried to shame me. And I helped them. You ever help them? I've helped them. Start listening to it. But to recover who we are in Christ is to be reminded by those whom we live with. Those other certain women. The Johns. To have someone standing in our midst said, no, God loves you not because you do or you don't, you will or you won't, but because he's loved. He loves you. Love covers a multitude of sins. Love believes the best of everybody. Have you noticed that the the world trusts nobody? Don't know who to trust. I had people in the last year, we just can't trust nobody. Well, love trusts everybody. And if you're having trouble with trust then you need to get saved. Because lean not to your own understanding, but trust in the Lord. I don't understand a thing that's going on in the world today, but I trust in the one that holds the world in his hand. I'm not going to live my life cynical. I'm not going to live my life distrusting every report. Listen, I'm going to live my life in the trust that God knows. Hmm. I get tickled. Can I tell you, I get more emails, text message questions, asking me all kinds of things. My grandmother Lottie, born in 1903, Lottie Glass, born to Bella and Noah Glass. Noah Glass was a about six foot two, and he was a fire-baptized holiness preacher. I have his rocking chair in my basement. Fire-baptized holiness. Granddad, I remember granddad. I was about 11, 12 when he was home with Jesus. When you went to Lindsay, Oklahoma, and you went to granddad Noah's house, they had one of them glass porcelain white tables, you know, with them plastic leather chairs that you stick to in the summertime. And Noah... Uh, Noah was tall man and Beulah was a little round lady and she could cook out of that garden I'm telling you and she'd cook and, and, and uh, uh, then before we ate my grandma Beulah she turned the plates upside down and when you went to the table you got on your knees behind the chair and grandpa prayed till your knees hurt <laughs> and then you could get up and you could eat And their daughter, my grandma Lottie, born 1903, got polio. And her feet were turned like this. And she had shoes and she could walk kind of like that a few feet. But my grandpa Noah believed in healing. (laughs) And they're two doors down from where grandma Lottie lived was a family by the name of Roberts. You might have heard the name. Laurel, 
Roberts. That's their two-door-down neighbor. And my grandma Lottie was 11 years older than Oral Roberts. Anybody heard of Oral Roberts? He's the dude that built ORU. You know, held tent meetings and prayed for people. And they got healed. My grandmother, I grew up with Brother Roberts. I, I can tell you story after story about Brother Roberts. I remember being nine years old, sitting at Grandma's table, and I'm nine, and he, I'm standing there, and Brother Roberts walks in. He slams the table and says, I hate the devil. Everything on the plate shook. I hate sickness. And I, all I can remember is, I ain't sick. <laughs> He's a big man. He ain't sick. But my Grandpa Noah, now he, if God doesn't do it, they came to my grandpa Noah, according to the story, at about six, and they said, we can fix Lottie's feet if we go in and do surgery. And he refused surgery. Because God couldn't use medicine. And so my grandmother walked crippled the rest of her life. Oh, Roberts, you, you know who I'm talking about. He built a hospital called City of Faith. <laughs> I remember I was nine, and we took that little sugar cube. You remember? Anybody remember getting that sugar cube? Had something in it called a what? Come on, everybody. Had a what in it? For what? I remember my grandmother crying, thanking God. She said, Dwayne, that's God's gift. This is not the first time in history. I've been raised around healers. Mm -mm -mm -mm. I would say to some people, be very, very, very careful. Because someday your children. And I remember my grandma Lottie crying. God uses doctors. God uses science. God uses medicine. Who do you think gave them the brains to come up with it? Be very, very careful. Because I will go to a funeral next week of a friend of mine. Be very very careful. Hmm. You do what you need to do, boo. You wear a mask, you don't wear a mask. You get a vaccination, you don't get a vaccination. But do not shame other people. Do not think that you have a corner on what God is doing. Because I promise you, you do not. God will use vaccinations. He'll not use vaccinations. He'll spit in the mud one time. He'll blow in your ear the next. And neither one has anything to do with you. Nothing. Beloved, He loves you. 
And he can do anything, any way, any time, any place, with anyone that he wants to do. That's what makes him sovereign. And your faith is no greater than anyone else's. Am I making myself clear? This is my pulpit. I've been in this city 35 years. I have laid a stake in this community. I will not see us divided over stupid things. I'm a beloved person of God. God can heal, deliver, set free. Good God. I've laid hands on up here and watched people get out of stuff. I watched blinded eyes open. And can I tell you, I don't know how it happened. I don't know why it happened over here and why it doesn't happen over there. I have no clue. Here's what I know. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you, beloved. And we need to stay out of all the shame. And we need to recognize that as we love one another, the world will change. The world will change. How do I do that? It's easy to say, go love somebody. Let me break it down this way. There's five little things. If I love you, number one, I value you. I value you. You're valuable. And, and I value people. I, and, and I'm not just my people, but I value all people. Red, yellow, black, white, green, blue. People all the time saying, are we an inclusive church? Wrong question. Wrong question. Listen, last time I read, we were supposed to go out into the world. That means that if they'll get in the net, I'll catch them. I'm not waiting for someone to walk in the door. There's not a sign out there that says, you don't get to come in. And the truth of the matter is, we're supposed to be going out there and fishing for any kind of fish. In fact, if God wasn't inclusive, he would have thrown you back. Have you ever smelled fish? You'll get this in a minute. See, we get all caught up in things. The truth of the matter is, is get up every day and just value people. Value every person. Value all people. Just, just every per- look at the people around you and go, you're valuable. I, I get up every day and recognize this morning, I'm going to live my life as though every person in my life has a significant value in my life. Hmm. I notice how quiet it gets in here. Wanna, let's just... Number two, add value to people in your life. Not only do I think Anita is valuable, I want to add value to Anita. How do I add value to Anita? Uh, I try to see it from her point of view. I listen to her. If you want to add value to a child, stand there while they tell you their story. How, anybody know how hard it is to stand there and listen to a four-year-old tell you the story? And you already know how this story ends, but they're trying to convince you that a second ice cream sandwich is in their future. 
the way you add value to people is you try to give them influence in your life. You try to, to see it from their perspective. Uh, Charles and Martha were here in the first service. They have a very deep tan. Some of you are going, huh? Can I tell you, a long time ago, I realized that I did not understand the perspective of an African-American, but that I had to try to listen to Martha. And that if I listened to Martha and I tried to see it from her point of view, I was adding value to Martha. And that if I'm... Number one, value people. Value people. Add value to people. Listen to their point of view. Allow them to influence you. Allow them. Did you know that your perspective of people will determine your attitude towards people? Did did, did you understand that if you will experience life from their point of view, it will change the way you see them? And that basically we don't see people as they are. We see people as we are. That we need to add value to people by allowing them to show us who they are from their perspective and not who we think they are from our perspective. You see, if I see you as broke, I'll try to fix you. If I see you as weak, I'll try to help you. But if I see you as valuable, I'll serve you. See, we're called to serve one another. How do we love one another? We first value each other. And then we try to add value to one another. And thirdly, not only do I add value, I try to live out of a set of values. Many, many years ago, Bruce, remember this, uh, need to remember this, I used to do this thing called power lunch. They were kind of motivational things, and I did them. And the mayor at that time called me and wanted me to come and speak to the, the then council of the city on business ethics. And I said, well, I can't do that. And he said, how come? I said, because they don't exist. <laughs> he said, what? I said, there's no such thing as business ethics or political ethics. There's just ethics, and they come from God. He goes, well, preacher, I don't want you to come and preach. I want you to come talk to us about business ethics. I said, buddy, i got to talk to you about the ethics of being a Christian, living a moral life. Because if you live a moral life, you add value to other people. I try to live a moral, ethical life because it adds value to my community. I, I try to live as morally and as integrous as I can because it's good for you. Listen, there's a lot of things I do that I don't really particularly like. There's a lot of things I'd like to do that I think I'd enjoy more. <laughs> Some of you go, what? <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> Number one, value people. Add value to people. Number three, live lives of value. Live valuable, ethical lives. 
so that other people see you living for others. FYI, I was taught by my grandmothers that you are your brother's keeper. I was taught by my grandmothers the golden rule. Treat others the way you want to be treated. It's amazing how, how astounding that might be in the 21st century. That we just might treat other people the way we won't be treated. That's ethics. That's living values. That's loving one another. <sighs> Beloved, love one another. Beloved, value each other. Beloved, add value to one another. Beloved, live lives of good values. Live those lives because it's good for other people. Listen to me. The mission of the church is not to make believers. The mission of the church is to make beloved. Listen, beloved. You belong. You belong in the family of God. You belong to this. I'm just going to keep telling you, you're beloved. You belong, and you don't have to try to fit in by acting like you're perfect. Give up on it. There's a difference between belonging and fitting in. Just belong. And can I tell you, somewhere down the road, you'll become a believer. I get so tickled, Jason, when people say, when did you get saved? Well, I'm still trying. I'm not, I'm right. I'm, maybe that last. <gasps> Beloved, I agree with the prophet this morning. Dark times. I agree with the prophet this morning. It's time to celebrate. The way we do that is by loving each other. Hmm. By being kind to one another. Do not get sucked in to the conversations of this world that end up shaming us by our own faith. I don't like someone using my faith to shame me. Don't do that. Don't do that. Did you get anything out of this? Look at someone around you and say, you're valuable. No, 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 no. Say it out. You're valuable. Now look at them and say, what can I do to add more value to you? Whew. That's an open-ended question. Love will change the world. You listen to me? Love will change America. Love will change Hutchinson. My God, if, if you're in this room, I want you to know I'm for you. Louie, every time you sit here, 
you humble me. Just humble me. I'm for you. Somebody will ask me about someone in the church and I'll say, oh no, but I'm for them. Well, what do you think about that person? I don't know, but listen, I'm for Alan. Somebody asked me about Pete. Well, I'm for Pete. I'm for Ken. I'm, am I making any sense? I'm just for you. I want you to win, succeed, and if there's something I can do to add value to you, I want you to have that attitude with everybody in this room. We have gotten sucked into the wrong conversations in this country. Stand with me this morning. I got a hush.